All right, um, we're going to talk about uh, kind of a little-known topic, but, but one that nonetheless uh, I had heard, and then I thought it was so good, I thought it was worth bringing back to the body. So we're going to talk about salt, and yes. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't bring any salt. I didn't, no, I didn't. Know. Oh, she was throwing salt, or water, or salt? Salt, throwing salt. You certainly can. <laughs> the children do need to be released. Oh, okay. Well, I'm very sorry. So, kids, you do get an opportunity to, to get out of Dodge here and, and not have to listen to me. So, there you go. <laughs> Lord, bless all those little ones with your word, and may they have a really great time with the teachers. In Jesus' name, Lord. I wasn't prepared for that, Paul. Thanks for putting me on the spot. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know for those of you with uh, short memories, but we, we sang an interesting little song this morning, uh, of Salt and Light. Okay, it was the second song we did. So for those of you that uh, can go back and kind of go through that. Um, I thought the whole, if we look at Matthew 5, um, verse 13, or I'm sorry, 5, 13 through 16, verse 13 through 16. This is basically Jesus speaking, and it was part of his Sermon on the Mount. Maybe arguably one of his finest sermons, and this really is the Mount of Olives where Supposedly, this is where that he actually did the sermon. It's what it looks like today. Obviously, it didn't look like that in his day. So I'll read Matthew five thirteen through 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled by men. And then he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. <laughs> Doorbell. So I want to take a look at those statements for just a few minutes, okay? Well, the light on a hill routine is pretty, I think, evident. And I think we, most of us get that. It uh, can be seen, stands out. Basically, people notice it. Um, you really can't hide it very well. It shines pretty bright. Okay, But the statement, salt of the earth, well, that's kind of interesting if you really stop and think about it a little bit. I mean, why aren't we the diamonds of the earth, or the gold of the earth, or the silver of the earth, or the platinum of the earth? I mean, how did we come up with salt? So, and then he actually goes out and says, if we lose our saltiness, we're really no longer good for anything. So where on earth did Jesus come up with salt? So we're going to take a little bit of a look at that and dig a little deeper on this whole thing. So we'll take a look at it both from a knowledge standpoint and from a spiritual standpoint, and we'll try to look into both aspects of salt. First of all, salt, the chemical symbol is NaCl, or sodium chloride. You've got two base elements, sodium and chloride. It's basically an ionic chemical compound, meaning the chemical is bounded electrostatically 
bonded, I'm sorry, bonded electrostatically. Na plus, Cl minus. Okay, maybe opposites attract, and voila, we got salt. Um, that brief explanation, oh, by the way, was for Brian Bronson. Where's Brian? Is he around here? Okay. That's our chemistry teacher. He, he bagged it today, okay, so he's not here to hear about that one, right? All right, uh, also the human body really cannot live without some amount of sodium, which, of course, salt contains, okay? It's needed to transmit nerve impulses, contract and relax muscle fibers, including those in the heart and blood vessels, and maintain a proper fluid balance. And if you want more information on that, you can see our resident doctor, Mr. Spath, over here, and he can tell you now. Salt. Let's just talk a few things about salt. First of all, it's a necessary part of our diet. We talked about that. It's a seasoning. It's a preservative. It's a disinfectant. It's a component of ceremonial offerings, certainly in the Old Testament. It's a unit of exchange. It's very often it was costly. And you've heard, is a man worth his salt? I'm certainly you've heard of those, that comment before. Okay. Salt was cast on the burnt offerings okay, in the Old Testament. Salt was part of the incense that they burned. Salt was part of the temple offering. Salt was used as a covenant of friendship, which is where we're going with this conversation. Salt was used to purchase slaves. And basically, salt is referenced 36 times in the Bible. No mention of pepper. How do we ever get there? Huh? Salt, no pepper. Newborn babies were rubbed with salt. And the significance of rubbing salt indicated that the child would be raised to have integrity and to always be truthful. Salt signifies new beginnings. It also has a purifying effect on what it comes in contact with. In Ezekiel 16, verse 4, this is a prophecy. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. And Ezekiel here was speaking about the nation of Israel, basically. So, slide three? Yeah, good. Okay. Matthew five thirteen. you are the salt of the earth. Well, the bi- biblical metaphor of salt refers to a Christian's person's influence for good as we penetrate a secular society. As salt gives food a rich and pleasant taste, We are the people who are to give a good flavor to the lives of those we encounter. There should be something in our conduct that shows the fruit of the life to which God has called us. If we are not radiating with some sort of flavor, reflecting the teachings of God in our lives, then what use are we, especially to God himself? Salt without flavor has no use, and it can even be detrimental to the things that it comes in contact with. I'm going to talk about the covenant of salt, okay? And now, before I get started down that path, all right, um, I was warned, so I'm going to take the, the, the warning and, and heed it, okay? That I want to clearly state that as Christians, we are under the new covenant. We are not under any of the old covenants, okay? But I just want to make that point perfectly clear. A new covenant provided by Jesus, the Old Testament covenants were only precursors to the new covenant that we're under, a better covenant, provided by our Lord. However, however, the old covenants can provide the Christians with some important spiritual concepts, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So Hebrews 9.15, this is speaking of Jesus. And for this cause, he is the mediator of a new covenant, 
that a death having taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they that have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And that's our new covenant that we're under. So everybody got it? The old covenant doesn't apply anymore, okay? All right, but we are going to talk about the covenant of salt. It basically was very rich in symbolism. It was visually demonstrated by the salting of the temple sacrifices to Yah, and, and it was perpetually remind the faithful of their solemn covenant responsibility to Yahweh. Salt preserves, so now we get into preservation and, 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 and the uh, for perpetual type scenario, okay? So next slide, and we'll talk about numbers, and here's where we see the salt covenant. Numbers 18, verse 19. All of the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. So God, and basically God instructs, if you go back and look at this, the Israelites, that every sacrifice to be, was to be seasoned with salt as a sign of the covenant. In Leviticus 2, verse 13, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt, and you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. So even the holy ingredients used for incense uh, offering were to have salt added. And this, you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And that's out of Exodus 30, verses 34 and 35. So covenants were generally confirmed by sacrificial meals, and salt was always present at the meals. When men came, when men ate together, they became basically friends. It's no different than us doing the the uh, Sunday morning meal together. Okay, it's 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 an opportunity for everybody to get together and get a little closer. Okay, so partaking of hospitality cemented friendships. Ezra four fourteen talked about this. He talks about eating the salt of the palace. But now we begin to see how seriously they took this. Now because we eat the salt of the palace. And it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. Therefore, we send and inform the king that we're bound to look after his interests, okay? And they were bound by sacrificial obligations and fidelity to that king because they ate the salt of his palace. So entering into a salt covenant means, okay, bringing oneself to another in utmost loyalty and truthfulness even suffering and death, rather than breaking the covenant. For this very reason, a covenant of salt was never done lightly nor haphazardly. It deserved serious respect. So you hear this, there is salt between us. Basically, salt was used as a covenant of friendship between people. The covenant of salt symbolizes an everlasting covenant or perpetual covenant. Salt basically preserves, and that's where the symbology comes in. Metaphorically, the salt signifies and symbolizes utmost loyalty, honesty and truth, purity, perfection, wisdom, hospitality, usefulness, value, desirability, durability, fidelity, permanence, 
and relationships that are strong and enduring and free from corruption. And it talks about it is an indissoluble, indissoluble alliance between friends, but between basically with fidelity and loyalty. Another verse we can look at in the Old Testament concerns David. He received his kingdom forever from Yahweh by a covenant of salt. In 2 Chronicles 13, verse 5, talks about Abijah. Now, he's the king over Judah, and he's about to go to war with the northern kingdoms over Israel. Okay? So he says, Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? And, of course, that really leads to Christ, who we're talking about, who reigns forever. So basically, the words of that covenant can be found in Psalms 89, verses 34 through 37. It says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even the faithful witness in the sky. In the sky. So when God makes use of this metaphor, he's basically urging us to be faithful, despite how circumstances appear on the surface, um, because his word is absolutely sure, okay? Um, just like himself, the word is, endures forever. So in light of all that we've seen uh, in the word so far about salt, and we're going to see a little bit more yet, um, this scripture should begin to carry a little bit more significance. And we've got slide 11 coming up. Okay. Mark 9, verses 49 through 50. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how, you will, how will you make it salty again? So basically, we're told to have salt in ourselves and be at peace with one another, in addition. So we're going to talk for a second about salt losing its saltiness. That's interesting. This really refers to salt that's been contaminated with some other mineral. Um, Basically causing a weakness in the flavor or a bland, unpleasant taste. So there is some symbolism here about having salt in ourselves. Is it possible for one to be contaminated you know, from the world um, and thus being unsuccessful at being an effective disciple? I believe it is. So just like salt can be contaminated, so can we. And we've already heard about if it loses its saltiness, what, what, what use is it, okay? So basically, yes, if we abandon or deviate from the gospel truth, we can lose our saltiness. Tasteless salt, I'm sorry, Luke 14, verses 34 through 35. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. Slide 13, Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is where I thought it really begins to get interesting. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're to be living sacrifices. And we've already seen in the Old Testament that all the grain offerings and many of the sacrifices were to be salted down or flavored with salt. So as living sacrifices, and we're already told by Jesus, we are to be salt. We are to be salty as Christians. So it goes a living sacrifice versus the Old Testament grain sacrifices and sacrifices were given on the altar. Okay. Our lives going to need to be a sacrifice season with salt. Ezekiel 43, verse 24. You shall present this Old Testament, talking about the sacrifices. You shall present them before the Lord, and the priest shall sprinkle salt on them and offer them up as burnt offerings to the Lord. So you can see that the sacrifices, again, had salt sprinkled on them. So basically, now is the time for all believers to basically to grasp the revelation of the salt covenant and begin to walk in it. So what does this look like? Um, throughout scripture, we find salt to be a true type of personal holiness. We talked about that it has a, the salt has the ability to purify. Okay, So we're talking about purification. Jesus has told us to have salt in ourselves. There has never been a genuine move of God, never, that did not include the salt of personal holiness, nor will there ever be. Walking in holiness is key to experiencing the power of God in our lives. However, the salt covenant doesn't just include salt. There must be a sacrifice um, for the salt to go on, either grain or whatever the meat they're putting it on. And here's where Leviticus 2.13 establishes a powerful biblical truth. Every sacrifice must have salt on it. This is why Jesus called himself the bread of life. In John 6.35 Going beyond what the grain offering mentioned, okay, in Leviticus, okay, could, could ever do, and he is the one and only sacrifice for sin. How many of you folks ever made bread? Okay, good. We got a, uh, and, and I got involved in making some bread, believe it or not, down in Florida with some, making some challah bread with some Jewish friends of mine. And I actually made some pretty good bread, actually. And you, if, if those of you know, you usually stick a little bit of salt in the ingredients as, you, as, as you're putting the bread together. So the bread has salt in it already. So basically, the salt covenant joins the imputed righteousness of God with the personal righteousness that every recipient of grace, meaning you and I, has the privilege to and duty to walk in. Through Christ, we can walk in this divine covenant. It's the new covenant, okay? And truly be, as he called us, the salt of the earth. In a time when America must once again walk in covenant with God if it hopes to flourish. Not so sure that we hope to flourish anymore, but we won't go down that path, right? So how do we live a salty life? And what does this life actually look like? Slide 14? Ah, here we go. Okay. We need to be able to, as, as believers, bring healing to those whom your life touches. Physical, emotional, spiritual. As salt, we can help people in suffering with a healing covenant with the healer, Jesus. Okay? And salt is an integral part of the divine covenant. Second Kings 2, verses 20 through 22. This is about Elisha. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. 
Then he went to the spring of water and threw the salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. So we can see that salt is also can be used as a healing agent from Scripture, too, in the Old Testament. So, number two, we can interact with the world around us with grace and love. Colossians 4, verse 6, New Testament. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The salt operates by interacting with a thing that it really wants to change. Salt cannot improve the food unless it basically goes into the food and enters it and changes it from within. Sometimes we Christians think that the way we should um, go about this is to keep away from getting involved with society and popular culture. But by shying away from the realities of our society and our world, we we might indeed be hiding our saltiness and changing its qualities. So we're not meant to be tucked away just dealing with other Christians. We are to influence the world. Jesus emphasizes to the disciples that they have both the calling and responsibility to be influences in this dying world. So we need to be able to season our surroundings. So as we come in contact with society, our Christian values should improve the nature of the society. Salt spices things up. Food without salt is tasteless. A Christian is the one who by his anointing, love, courage, hope, care, and kindness brings a new flavor into the life of others. If seasoning has no flavor, it has no value. We need to be able to make others thirsty. I think we all know that if we eat enough salt, Popcorn on salt, where we get thirsty, right? As Christians, we seek to create a thirst in people's lives that can only be satisfied by Jesus, who said in John seven thirty seven, If anyone is thirsty, it's interesting, let him come to me and drink. If you would live if you would live your lifestyle directed by the Holy Spirit, you will make another thirsty for your lifestyle. You can make another person thirsty for what you have thirsty after your God, thirsty after peace, and the blessings that you have accumulated. Without the testimony of lives with integrity and consistency by the principles the Christians claim to follow, basically the testimony of our lips is kind of useless. So people need to see, obviously, through our lives, okay, that we walk a different, a little bit different lifestyle. We don't need to be perfect because we're never going to get there, right? But knowing that our sinfulness and our need to confess it and bring and, and be cleansed of our sinfulness is a vital part of our Christ, the Christian gospel. So let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So let us live a life in tune with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is looking for people who are willing to yield themselves into the hands of God without questioning or murmuring. Salt, hardened salt, the hardened heart. I'm sorry, not salt hardened. I can do that too, I suppose. Salt is used to basically thaw some of the ice on the roads. Okay, So just as Christian salt can have the effect of warming um, hearts that have hardened against the gospel over time, the salting of, of Christians can bring people to know Jesus Christ. So begin to purify our environment. Again, one of the qualities of salt. The same way that salt has healing power, we should 
counteract moral decay. 2 Kings 20 through 21. The purifying property of salt was referred to in a symbolic use by Elisha in his miracle in the healing of the waters. Okay? So Elisha treated a bad water supply in Jericho with salt. Okay? And then besides purifying, besides purifying it, it also signified a new beginning for that particular well. We need to be able to teach the next generation. Salt is basically the earliest of all preservatives, and of course from generation to generation to generation now um, preserves and keeps the faith going. So the Greeks used to say that you could put a, a, that you could put a new soul into dead things with salt. Okay? Without salt, a thing putrefied and very basically went bad. Salt preserves food from decay. As the salt of the earth, we are called to preserve the faith to which we have received and pass it on intact to others. Our generation is being challenged in a special way, basically, to keep the safe the deposits of our faith. Okay? We must act as a preservative against corruption, and we see that everywhere we go, don't we? Our task is to be the salt of society, preserving, reconciling, adding taste, giving meaning to where there is no meaning, and giving hope to where there is no hope. Um, I'm going to talk just for a second about a guy, an old guy, okay, but somebody that you've heard the name of before, um, William Colgate, long dead, okay, but interestingly enough, a real salty Christian. Didn't start off that way. Um, William Colgate was born on January the 25th, 1783 in England. William's father, Robert, was a farmer by trade and, and, and was known for a sharp intellect and strong political views, and you'll see why in a minute. His father was uh, outspoken for the colonies, struggle for independence. William Colgate's father wanted America to be a free nation from England, even though he was in England, interestingly enough. Okay? And, but it brought trouble to, to both him and his family. God intervened. The family was startled awake in the midst of the night by someone pounding on the front door. The Colgates had a friend uh, basically in the government of England. And he was to warn William Colgate to take his family and Flee England. If Colgate remained in England, okay, basically the messenger warned he would certainly face prison or maybe even death. The family boarded a ship in 1798 and sailed for America, and they settled on a farm in Maryland. William partnered with a man to manufacture soap and candles. This is William Sr. Young William, the guy that actually started Colgate Palmolive, okay, young William helped the two men and caught on quickly. Despite their hard work, the partnership failed, and Colgate's father returned to farming. But not everything always works out, does it, guys? But William liked the business and was convinced he could become successful. So William struck out on his own. But within one year, the business failed from lack of money. Second failure. And William Colgate had to close his doors. Despite the two setbacks, Colgate wasn't going to give up. He thought he was what the Lord wanted to take him. A good lesson for anyone who has a God-given dream. Okay, God will direct your paths if you acknowledge him and commit your business to him. A Christian friend who worked as a boat captain advised young Colgate, give your heart to Christ. Give God all that belongs to him. Make an honest soap. Give a full pound. I guess you used to be able to buy a pound of soap at the time. Okay, give, <laughs> give a full pound, Okay, and someone will be leading the soap. Maker will be the leading soap maker in New York. It might just as well be you. So William began to study the Bible a lot. He was intrigued by the words of Jacob in Genesis 28, verses 20, 20 through 22, 
And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me the bread to eat and clothes to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of and of all that you shall give me, I will surely give a tenth back to you. So we see the one of the not the original tithe, but certainly the next version of it. Okay, so we get the idea of the concept of the tithe here. Well, William Colgate got a job with another soap maker, third, 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 third round here, as an apprentice or helper. Now, he's already been in doing this for quite some time, all right? Um, Colgate's observation was keen, and despite his age, he was aware of the proverb about listening to instruction, um, even if that instruction comes from those who fail, okay? <laughs> so, we talk about proverbs on this. So, now, now this soap company um, failed also. So, I got the third failure now, Okay. Um, but Colgate's reputation and ambition, uh, having worked at this for so long, enabled him to make contacts with dealers in other cities. Uh, and he was able to establish himself in the business. William Colgate and company was successful from the very beginning, and within six years, the company would also be producing hand soap and other toilet and shaving soap products. While Colgate was deeply involved in getting the business established, he did not forget to acknowledge his God and attend to his spiritual needs. Colgate attributed his success to the commitment to scriptural principles. As Jacob had, prom- had promised to give the first fruits of his labor to God, so Colgate made similar promises. 10% of Colgate's profits, and this was company profits, okay, were faithfully given to God's work. And we see Colgate now becoming a very salty Christian, okay? There was just a little bit of salt going there, but this gets interesting, okay? Colgate even acknowledged God when naming their children. They were fond of giving their children biblical names. This reflected their Christian worldview in every aspect of their lives. The family attended church and read the the family Bible together. Colgate brought others to Christ and the cross. He was active in various Christian activities He gave large sums of money to various educational institutions, including what was then called Madison College in New York. Uh, Due to his generosity, the school is now known as Colgate University. In 1816, Colgate organized the American Bible Society and the Foreign Bible Society. So, pretty active guy. As Colgate's business plans um, continued to prosper, and he was blessed by the God, he instructed his accountants to increase his giving to 20% of the business now, and then 30% of the business profits. So basically, the soap king meant the king of kings. On March 25th, 1857, his son took over the business, and today we know Colgate Palmolive is one of the premier and Fortune 500 companies in America. And, and it's been around for a couple hundred years, and that kind of permanence you just don't see in business typically, and that's guided by the Lord. So this was an interesting, salty kind of guy. So basically, the simple application of Matthew five, thirteen is that God put us here to preserve and flavor his world. If we're not doing that, then what good are we to him or to others? So as Jim said, are we ready to get knocked off the fence? Are we ready? 
Can we live up to this calling and challenge? And the last piece of this, and we're almost done, I made mention that during my naval career, it was basically common knowledge that if a sailor had been in the service uh, for quite some time, uh, made rate, was good at his job, well-respected by the enlisted and the officer ranks, and able to teach the younger men, he was given the informal title of Old Salt. There were some other reasons for that too, but okay, but we won't go there. But hopefully most of us can have a salty title similar to that in our Christian service uh, to the Lord. Um, And basically for some of us, um, we could probably leave off the adjective old, and we'd be just happy with that, okay? All right, um, that's it. I'm going to close in prayer, and then after that, if anybody would like to come up for salvation or would like to give their heart to the Lord and become salty, or if you'd like prayer to be salty, well, there'll be folks from the prayer team here to help you do exactly that. So we'll close in prayer right now. Lord, we give you much thanks and praise and glory for this day, for this time to come and sit and be before you, Lord, quietly and both in praise and worship. And Lord, we ask that you touch us, that you'd help us to give us a really good understanding now of what it means to be salt. So we thank you for your word. We thank you that it goes back thousands of years. We thank you that it's consistent with everything that it says. And we just give you all the glory and honor in Jesus Christ's precious name, Lord. Amen.